Hello, I'm Sarah. And I'm Joanna. And we are your therapists next door. Join us as we demystify therapy and destigmatize mental health. Every episode, we interview a healthcare professional. It's sometimes serious, sometimes sad, most times ridiculous. This week, we welcome Diana Ohene, who works as an activities coordinator and art therapist. Welcome, everyone, to Therapist Next Door, a podcast that shows you the human side of your friendly neighborhood healthcare worker. We do this by interviewing a healthcare professional each episode, asking questions that you want the answers to, and answering questions you didn't know you had. I'm Joanna, a board-certified music therapist and a licensed professional counselor in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm a white, straight, cisgendered female, and my pronouns are she, hers. And since I've become a crocheter and a knitter... Every time I watch a movie or a TV show, I am acutely aware of any knitted or crocheted item that is present. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I'm Sarah, an LPC from Pennsylvania, transplant from South Jersey. I'm straight, cis, white woman, and my pronouns are she, her. And I have recently started leaving negative reviews on audible stories that are free that have very misogynistic undertones. <laughs> That's amazing. So I, I figured maybe I should leave some positive ones because, I mean, they're free and people put forth the effort to create. But ooh, these two that I left reviews on were they were doozies. So it was well earned. I'm glad. Nice. Uh, I will say that It Follows has two very nice crocheted blankets in it. I was um, and it's 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 honestly something I can't control, like. For example, there's like another, I've been editing our podcast and anytime anybody lip smacks, my head, my brain goes lip smack <laughs> anytime, no matter what, mm-hmm. talking to anybody, lip smack. Um, cause did I you like, watch, yeah. did you watch the show Barry? Yes, I did. I love Barry. So we watched it like a month ago and I cannot, like every time I see an extra in a show now, I'm like, oh man, I hope they make it. <laughs> like, I, hope that, I hope that they... <laughs> have their breakthrough because because now I know I know how hard it is from that show from Barry yeah (laughs) I will say also um honestly I'm not gonna say anything else because I really like Barry girl I got you I was taking it back to knitting but you can go back to knitting if you want I can talk about Dairy Girls because I'm it's competing it's competing with Lucifer now I I can't I can't stop watching Dairy Girls (laughs) I bet you they have some pretty good knitted things on Dairy Girls. Oh, yeah, man. It's, it's all like 90s Northern Irish living rooms. It's chock, oh. full of, chock full of crocheted items. There was some nice ones, blankets on Mare of Easttown, too. That makes sense. And this is not, I, I will say, like, looking at the the subreddit for, like, knitting or crocheting, there's a lot of people who are like, how do I make this? I've seen it. Like, Harry Styles wore this sweater once, yeah. and it's, like, a big deal. Um, the sweater <laughs> that uh, that guy wore in Knives Out, that's a big deal. <gasps> yeah, that's, like, a big Irish one, right? Yeah. Like, oh, it had, like, the hole in it, the curated hole. Yeah. <laughs> 
I was uncomfortable with how much I hated his character in that movie. I um, know. Chris, which Chris is he? Is he Chris I Evans? almost said Chris Pine, but I know it's not that, but it is Chris Evans. But those two are like the most similar Chris's. Chris Pine and Chris Evans. I yes. Mm-hmm. A lot, of, a lot of, of white Chris. jacked dudes. <laughs> there's not a lot of variation. Man, speaking <laughs> of good movies too, is Knives Out. Love that movie. It's a very good movie. That's a great movie. Basically, Sarah and I have a movie podcast where we also talk about therapy. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, we we may start leaning that way. Maybe we'll rewrite our intro next time. Yeah, that's why we that's why we got sixty Instagram follower, followers just to hoodwink Ooh. you all. <laughs> uh, do you have any more banter, or should we move into housekeeping? Should I call? I it think banter? I'm good on banter. <laughs> good on banter. Is this a secret? I do have some housekeeping from the last okay. episode. Oh, it, okay. I said okay. there was only one jump scare in It Follows and there are two. Okay. I'm trying to think about where there are. I know that there's one when it just appears when you're lulled into a sense of security. It being it that follows. I don't know. So the two jump scares are ball against a window where it's like totally nothing is going on. And it's like, like a kid throws a ball against her window. Oh, um, okay. And then another one is when they're in like a creepy house, someone like pushes a wall over. Um, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Weird. I, don't, I mean, I don't know what the definition of jump scare is. I'm sure I'll find out. I mean, it scares you when you jump, right? It's like a cheap scare. Yeah, yeah. But I think movies like It Follows, they have, they're not, they're not like cheap jumps. They're just like fucking scary things happen and you happen to jump. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. okay. All right, nice. Now I have no housekeeping. I think we're set. Cool beans. Can't believe I said that. You did. Cool beans. Twice. Join us after the break as we delve into our history lesson for today. time for our history lesson. The history lesson is compiled facts in the form of a narrative describing history, good and bad, in order to give context for the field our interviewee works in. Our sources for today are goodtherapy.com and bayviewhealthcare.org. Trigger warning, we are certainly going to be reading about some abuse, neglect, and dehumanization of the elderly, so feel free to skip 10 or 15 minutes or so just ahead if you do not want to hear this portion of the show. We are going to start with the history of elderly care. 500,000 years BCE. First evidence of senior care. Bones of an elderly disabled early human is discovered in 2013. Hmm. Now, I believe what happened here is that the person had some type of like cane or device that showed how they were moving and also because of carbon dating, their bones were old. So they knew, okay, a person lived this long. Someone was taking care of them. Cool. 3100 BCE to 332 BCE. Egyptian pharaohs buried with walking sticks. Canes, so more evidence that there was elderly care. 
1900 BCE to 1600 BCE, elderly men from the Bronze Age buried with copper axes suggesting veneration. 700 BCE, ancient Etruscans created dentures out of human and animal teeth. Ancient Greece, Athenian law required that children care for their aging parents and that punishment was loss of citizenship. This was second to the most severe punishment for Athenians besides execution. In 44 BCE, Roman philosopher Cicero writes his piece on old age. And now at the turn of, no, that's not the right phrase. And now we turn over to Common Era, the year 104. Roman Egyptian census records show many multi-generational households. In the year 600, Latin poet Maximanius writes, quote, an old age and love, end quote. In the year 1025, some of the only real progress made in the understanding of aging and senior care between antiquity and the enlightenment occurred in the Islamic world, where incredible advances in science were being made while Europe was murked in the Dark Ages. The Arabic writing, quote, the canon of medicine, end quote, one of the earliest known texts to describe care for the elderly, and one of the most influential medical texts ever, was compiled by Ibn Sina. In the year 1200, Icelandic law exempts those over 70 from fasts. Now, I'm curious about that because I'm not sure what religion or what uh, ritual was being practiced in Iceland. I don't know. I don't know if it was indigenous at that point or I don't know if Iceland was colonized. But usually where there are fasts, there are some type of like long-standing religion or something like that. Yeah. It's okay, we don't know everything. (laughs) Moving on to the Dark Ages in Europe. Old age was frequently seen as a positive evil, and old people were often denigrated and feared, as demonstrated by the frequent witch trials. Art during that period, which invariably conveyed religious themes, portrayed the elderly as grotesque, as part of the effort to discourage materialism and attachment to the body. In the year 1632, historical Austrian census records show 8.7% of women were widows and 4% of men were widowers. Moving on to the age of the Enlightenment. As reflected in the art of the time, society seems to have grown to appreciate the the elderly and the benefits of aging. In the Renaissance and the Age of Enlightenment, the best paintings of older people evoke the experience, wisdom, and even beauty of the subject who is being painted. Following the French Revolution, In towns and villages across France, festivals were developed to honor local elders. Moving on to the 1800s, we saw major changes both for humanity and seniors specifically in Europe and North America. Governments came to realize that they had some sort of obligation to ensure the indignant seniors at least least had somewhere to live and somewhere to eat. In the 1800s, Workhouses and poorhouses were built for seniors with no means and no family to take in, which I think we learned from our first history lesson yep. that anybody without attachment or someone to care for them ended up going to an almshouse. While they were intended to be charitable, these so-called workhouses or poorhouses were rather awful places to live. The seniors who resided in, in them were referred to as, quote, inmates. They were segregated by sex, forced to wear uniforms, and if feasible, required to participate in work to upkeep their property. These poor houses often housed orphans, disabled people, mentally ill people, and alcoholics. 
1823, a law was passed that forbade housing orphans in poor houses, which is actually interesting because I think from my own family history that I had orphans in my family that were housed in poor houses after 1823. So it's very interesting. Interesting. Maybe they were phasing it out. Yeah, I'll have to look more into that. Asylums opened for the mentally ill while residences for indigent seniors developed. The Philadelphia's Indigent Windows and Single Women's Society, one of the first homes for the elderly, opened in the U.S. Also in the mid-1800s, as alternatives to state-run institutions for the elderly, fraternal organizations, tradesmen, and religious groups began to open nonprofit homes for seniors, examples of these groups include the German Benevolence Society, the Odd Fellows, Masons, and Knights of Columbus. Young members of these groups would pay into a pool that would operate much like a pension plan today. The homes that they operated were often quite nice and some still operate today. I love that. I love that piece of information. In 1853, one of the earliest guides to aging was published called On the Decline of Life, a book on, quote, the best means of attaining a healthful old age by Barnard Van Oven. In the 1880s, Germany was the first nation to institute an old age pension. And in 1893, visiting nurse society formed to provide charitable in-home care to indigent seniors. Uh, In the 1900s, aging became for the first time an area of study in its own right. The term gerontology, the study of aging, and geriatrics, medical care for aging people, were both coined in the first decade of the century. Interestingly, Alzheimer's disease was first identified and described in the same decade. In 1901, 10% of elderly English men and 6% of elderly English women confined to workhouses or poorhouses. In History of Long-Term Care, Karen Stevenson writes that conditions, quote, range from barely tolerable to horrific, end quote. In 1906, Alzheimer's disease is first described by German psychiatrists, Alois Alzheimer. In 1909, the term geriatrics is coined by Austrian doctor Ignaz Nascher. In 1933, the first lightweight collapsible wheelchair was invented. In 1935, Social Security passes Social Security passes as part of FDR's New Deal. In 1946, Great Britain enacts free health care for elderly citizens through the National Health Service. In 1965, Medicare and Medicaid are instituted, prompting the rise of nursing homes. In 1974, the first hospice in the U.S. opens. I can't believe it was 1974. I know. Wow. And in 1981, the first recognized assisted living facility opens in the U.S. That one's pretty shocking, too. Yeah. I, I do not know what, where they were going before that. Yeah. In 1993, nicknamed Dementiaville de Hogewijk, a revolutionary new dementia care village, opens in Holland. I've read a lot about this place. I, I think it's really cool. Yeah, it's amazing. I, they talked about it at the place that Diana and I worked at. Um, I mean, we never achieved anything like that, obviously, but it's a really yeah. cool idea. Yeah. In 2010, baby boomers become the, quote, silver tsunami as 40 million Americans aged to 65 plus. In 2012, 5.4 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's disease. 5.4 million. Wow. Uh, In 2013, a new law in China says adult children must visit their elderly parents. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. 
2015, we saw the 50th anniversary of Medicare and Medicaid. And today, the elderly population is increasing rapidly. Every day, 8,000 Americans from the baby boomers join the 40 million Americans who are already 65 plus. This boom in the aging population, along with the need for alternatives to the classic institutional nursing homes, prompted many types of senior care to flourish across the U.S. and the rest of the developed world. To provide intermediate care for those who don't need a nursing home but cannot live independently, assisted living communities have sprouted up all over the U.S., other are types of senior care and senior housing have appeared and flourished too, including in-home care, memory care, continuing care retirement communities, CCRCs, and respite care. Age-related health issues are being made a priority too. For example, the Obama administration made Alzheimer's disease research a priority and set an optimistic goal of finding a cure for Alzheimer's by 2025, dedicating significant funding to the mission. And now moving on to the history of art therapy. The establishment of art therapy as a unique and publicly accepted therapeutic approach only took place recently in the mid-20th century. The emergence of art therapy as a profession arose independently and simultaneously in the United States and Europe. The term art therapy was coined in 1942 by British artist Adrian Hill, who discovered the healthful benefits of painting and drawing while recovering from tuberculosis. In the 1940s, several writers in the mental health field began to describe their work with people in treatment as, quote, art therapy. As there were no formal art therapy courses or training programs available at that time, these care providers were often educated in other disciplines and supervised by psychiatrists, psychologists, and other mental health care professionals. Just imagining psychiatrists also supervising like some clinical work like that, you know, it's yeah. psychiatrists were also had a much different function 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, Margaret Naumbog, often described as, quote, the mother of art therapy, established the Walden School in her home city of New York in 1915. She is widely viewed as the primary founder of the American art therapy movement. Nomberg believed children who were allowed to express themselves creatively and pursue subjects of interest to them would experience healthier development. Anna Kwiatkowski, another major contributor, was born in Poland and educated throughout Eastern Europe. A talented sculptor and artist, Kwiatkowski eventually moved to the United States and began working at the National Institutes of Mental Health, where she bridged the gap between her passion and her profession by introducing art into the therapy sessions she conducted with families. Other, other contributors include Florence Kane, an art educator who utilized teaching methods emphasizing the importance of free artistic expression and encouraging emotional creativity, and Edith Kramer, who proposed the more process-oriented art as therapy approach that defined goals of supporting the ego, helping the development of identity, and fostering growth. Finally, Elnor Ullman established the first art therapy journal in the United States and initiated one of the earliest training programs in the field. Now to talk about modern art therapy. Art therapy, a hybrid field largely influenced by the disciplines of art and psychology, uses the creative process, pieces of art created in therapy, and third-party artwork to help people in treatment develop self-awareness, explore emotions, address unresolved emotional conflicts, improve social skills, and raise self-esteem. Art therapy primarily aims to help individuals experiencing emotional and psychological challenges achieve personal well-being and improved levels of function. 
Neither previous artistic experience nor natural artistic ability is necessary for successful treatment, and any individual seeking the help of a mental health professional may find benefit from art therapy. Art therapy has been shown to benefit people of all ages. Research indicates art therapy can improve communication and concentration and can help reduce feelings of isolation. This type of therapy has also been shown to lead to increases in self-esteem, confidence, and self-awareness. Positive results in art therapy may often be achieved by those facing issues such as anxiety, depression, substance and dis- substance dependency, stress, PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, ADHD, which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, aging and geriatric issues, cancer, compassion fatigue, heart disease, anorexia, bulimia, and other eating disorders, cognitive impairments, and family or relationship issues. Because our therapy allows people to express feelings on any subject through creative work rather than with speech, it is believed to be particularly helpful for those who feel out of touch with their emotions or feelings. Individuals experiencing difficulty discussing or remembering painful experiences may also find art therapy especially beneficial. This is a little different than what we were reading with the previous interview about music therapy because they did say the same thing about, you know, you don't have to be a professional or have training or skills, but the music therapy one was very heavy on there's more research for kids than there is for adults. And it's interesting that art therapy immediately was able to get all the research for all ages. Mm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, not for us, but you know. Yeah. Recent research suggests art therapy may help individuals diagnosed with schizophrenia see improvement in some of their symptoms, although trials are still being conducted. Art therapists often use psychological, spiritual, and artistic theories in conjunction with clinical techniques to achieve the desired therapeutic outcome. The approach has proven to be beneficial even for nonverbal individuals and professional artists. Common techniques used in art therapy include painting, finger painting, doodling, scribbling, sculpting, drawing, using molding clay, carving, making pottery, making cards, using textiles, and making collages. Art therapy can help people express those thoughts, emotions, and experiences that may be difficult to speak about. Illness is often closely associated with intense emotions, and and tactile techniques such as working with molding clay may provide a refuge from these feelings. These activities have also been shown to be effective in revealing unconscious material, providing cathartic release, and promoting verbal expression. All right, join us after the break and we will talk to Diana Ohene about art therapy and being an activities coordinator. Howdy listeners, it's Joanna with a trigger warning about this interview. At around 47 minutes, we discuss suicide until about 54 minutes. Feel free to skip ahead during that time. And if you need support, the number for the National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. Welcome back. We will be talking today to Diana Ohene. She works as an activity coordinator. She has a master's in creative arts therapy. She worked as a counselor slash art therapist for Catholic Charities, as well as an outpatient therapist for the Wedge Recovery Center and art therapist activity coordinator for Haven Behavioral Hospital. She's worked with children, adults, and seniors. She has a large, great Viennese dog named Lady, spelled L-A-D-E-E. Her parents are from Ghana, West Africa. She loves Japanese anime and Japanese food. And she has a cookie Instagram where she reviews cookies that she buys online. Welcome, Diana (laughs) Ohene. Welcome. Hi. 
welcome. She also has a wonderfully doing? crocheted blanket behind her. <laughs> <laughs> yes, aesthetically, the Diana, you're 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 killing it right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, we should do a tour next time. <laughs> Ooh, I'm ready. Um, <laughs> Diana, tell us a little bit about the work that you do. Uh, currently, I'm an activities and volunteer coordinator, so I'm pretty much in charge of the activities that go on day to day, as well as uh, recruiting volunteers to assist with activities. Of course, since COVID kicked in, we haven't had as many volunteers um, and the activities have been a little bit all over the place, but that's primarily my job at the moment. Okay, so you you definitely mentioned that it's a little harder to recruit volunteers, but beyond that, how has the pandemic affected your job day to day? Um, I think it's just caused limitations with activities. When when it started, it was it was kind of a blow. I, I, we had to cancel activities, group activities, entertainers coming in the building, volunteers coming in the building. We were pretty much on a complete lockdown. We couldn't have visitors um, to any extent and I was pretty much flipped over into more of a assistant temporal where I had to help other departments um, get things together because then meals were in uh, residents rooms so we were helping deliver meals to rooms I was pretty much given one-to-one time with each resident because they couldn't gather it caused a lot of uh, depression and anxiety in the building for a lot of the residents because they couldn't see each other they couldn't hang out with each other like they used to they couldn't see family they couldn't really leave their rooms and it was it was it was a lot of confusion and lack of awareness or understanding about what was going on so it was it was a lot it was it was definitely overwhelming I think um my job in particular fared fairly well compared to other places but for the most part I think it's just been hard on everybody having to backtrack and 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 go against what we were used to before COVID. So, yeah, I, you're not the first person that we've spoken to that has said that the residents are really suffering with that isolation. Can you go a little bit into what kind of activities are in, you know, are taken care of in the activities department? Uh, there's there was a lot of outings and uh, bingo is a, is definitely a big thing where I am right now, and as well as trivia. There, uh, I feel like the art wasn't as popular, whether it be before and now. I feel like seniors are are more into crafts and um, things like that than they are into the fine arts. They get a little intimidated when you have them do anything related to drawing or painting, unless you show them exact step by step and it's not too complicated. But definitely, crafts were more um, popular in that regard but definitely trivia, bingo, outings, um, and entertainment are the, the top three or four activities that residents look forward to um, at my current location. So, yeah. I don't know if listeners know this, but I also used to work at a long-term care facility and I did a bunch of different activities, including music groups, but I also had my bingo calling down. <laughs> I had a good rhythm. You know, I, I was like projecting. I didn't have to use a microphone. Oh yeah. I'm the same way. Like the residents, they got really picky with who called bingo. They get so if picky. You weren't yeah. loud enough. If you weren't clear <laughs> enough, there, there was ready to be fights. Fights oh, we had yeah. comparisons. Oh, you don't say it like 
Diana, you don't say it like this person. You have to be loud. You have, and it was it was very particular. If you didn't repeat numbers, if you didn't like separate it, like you know, five zero to let them know it's fifty versus sixty. They 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 let you hear it pretty frequently. So I have a rhythm down and a sense of like how to do it, and the residents are used to that. And if anyone does it any differently, they will tell them like you know you need to do this, you need to do that. Um, so it's, it's very funny to see like this is their structure. You can't mess with their structure, yeah. and telling them any different is is going to be an interesting bit of comeback on the residence part. <laughs> yeah. Like if I tried to add any commentary to like B12, like the vitamin, they were like, stop Joanna. Yeah. This yeah. Is oh, serious. yeah. <laughs> We've had people try that to be funny <laughs> and, and they're like, what just, just call the numbers. Yeah. You're not funny. <laughs> You're not funny. Call the numbers. Yeah. <laughs> like y'all thought bingo wasn't entertaining enough. You had to oh, yeah. put in some kind of like wordplay. Yeah. yeah, don't don't yeah. do the word. Nope. If, if anyone out there is calling bingo, never do wordplay. They don't care. You're just <laughs> trying to entertain yourself and they don't care about your feelings. You're just there to call numbers. Yeah, it's it was also kind of interesting. The difference between doing like a music group or my modality groups versus bingo. It was like almost it was almost like a shift. Like, you're no, you're doing bingo now. These are the bingo rules. <laughs> You can be land. Yeah, you can be quirky and weird when you do music, but not with bingo. Yeah, art is the same way. Like you can be interesting and do comparisons, but when you're calling bingo, that's their world. You just you're just you're just in it temporarily. How do you feel like your personality is represented in the work that you do? Um, I I think it's represented well. Like I at, at first when I was working with seniors, I didn't think they'd be into my eccentric personality, um, my fashion sense, things like that. But they always get really curious and excited every day. They're they're wondering what hairstyle I'm going to wear that day, what shirt I'm going to have on that day, what pattern I'm going to wear. And it's and I, I appreciate their awareness of who I am. And there's a little less judgment than most people would assume like they're like, oh, seniors, you have to do it this way. You have to do it that way. They came from, you know, this way of the world. So you have to be this way. And you really don't because they they get curious um, regardless of age. They ask a lot of questions. You know, if, if they're offended, they're offended. If they like it, they like it. Um, so you don't have to pretend around them, which I appreciate. And um, and it makes the job more fun knowing that I'll walk in that day and and they'll have a question every every day there's a new question and it's it's less it's I'm gonna say it's less less offensive when they say it because because they're just curious they just you know they just want to know back in their day you know they didn't have this way of doing things and then I walk in and they're like you're interesting (laughs) nice what do you think is difficult about doing your work and what about it do you love um, I think the most difficult thing would be sometimes feeling like you're not as supported. I think a lot of places, um, activities is depending on who's looking at it, it's more of a filler, uh, like keeping the residents active and occupied while the real work goes down, you know, care, um, meal time, uh, family meetings, things like that. And but when there's tours and things like that, they, they always you know, push activities in the forefront because at the end of the day, yeah, family members bringing their, you know, loved one in for care and 
making sure they're well taken care of, but they also want to make sure that their loved one's not going to be bored out of their mind or left in a corner or left in their room and ignored. They want someone there to give them activities and, and ways to be active, even if it's just one-to-one time in their room. So I feel like there's like a catch-22 there where like activities is very important in that sense. But when you're working in the field, it's like, okay, you know, go do this while we go do the big stuff. So um, that I think that's the most difficult part. But the fun part is definitely spending time with the residents because they have so many different personalities. Like, you know, you mesh with, well with some, you don't mesh well with others. But at the end of the day, it's just, you, you're never bored. Like every day, someone's going to have a question. Someone's going to make a statement. Um, you're going to meet a new resident. You're going to enjoy the ones that are already there. It's, it's just a fun time. So... That's so neat. I, when you're talking about what's difficult, it, it reminds me, it makes me think about like the work that we have done together and mm-hmm. how oftentimes we were like almost exploited to be the face of something that's fun and cool. But then at the end right. of the day, we're not really being as respected or utilized when we right, have really right. good opinions to offer and like really good insight. Mm. Right. I think we tend to spend a lot of time with um, the people we work with. And so I feel like we have more to offer in a sense, but because we're considered as the fun position or the fun job or the easy job, as most people like to call it, they don't, they don't take the time to see, you know, there's a reason why we're here and it's not just to be filler. You know, we can, we can provide input. We know what this person likes and doesn't like, what ticks them off, what makes them happy. And we saw a lot of that, you know, even when we worked together, like they, were, they had to pull us a lot of the time to calm people down or, mm-hmm. or make people feel better because we knew what worked and didn't work. Like at the or end of the day. tell them what their names were. Yeah, like we knew names. We, we knew ages. We knew backgrounds because of what we did. And, and the only way p- other people could figure that out is if they go in their chart. We don't have to do that as much. And, you know, and, and people mm-hmm. kind of forgot that because their work was was top priority. And, and I, I definitely get it, you know, care and getting these people where they need to be is very important, but you can't like neglect our side as well because we're the more therapeutic end of the spectrum. Like they can take what we teach them or work with them on and use it after they're discharged. So. Yeah, and doing bingo in a in a big room, you know, in the big dining room is not, easy it takes a lot of energy and presence and you have to you know it's performing a little bit and you have to be really present and it's not necessarily the easiest thing yeah like a lot of people walk by and they're like oh I wish I could call bingo like they they make it seem like that's all you do and it's like do you really want to sit here for an hour and call numbers and and maintain this energy and your voice and um, and really get these residents engaged, it's not as easy as you think it is. And then when you do give people that opportunity, I think it kicks in that, okay, this is not, I don't want to do this every day. And yeah. it's like, exactly. At also, ease, that's, soldier. That's so at ease indeed. That is so mean. <laughs> like you have so much education, you have so much experience. And while like granted education doesn't warrant your respect, but like <laughs> you were treated as if you are you have not like busted your butt and right paid a lot of money to do it and really worked hard through your whole career and that that's like small comments like that can really make that feel yeah it's frustrating like like I didn't spend six years in school and 
and gone through papers and dissertations and, and orientations and internships and training to be told that they can do my job the same or better because it looks easy. Like there's like there's not work behind it. So that, yeah, that gets frustrating a lot of the time. Speaking of school, uh, what drew you into therapy? Uh, so why are you a therapist? What drew you into being a therapist? Um, I Well, the art therapy, art therapy part had to do a lot with the fact that I, I, I was into art most of my life. I could draw and things like that. And I actually went to an art high school. Um, cool. um, fun fact, it was the same high school as Michael B. Jordan. If there are uh, Michael <gasps> B. Jordan fans. <laughs> yes, he, there he, are right he, here. <laughs> yes, we both went to arts high school in Newark, New Jersey. Um, I believe he's older than me by like a year or two. So he graduated or he, you know, he left before I did. Um, Tisha Campbell from Martin, if anyone's a, you know, Tisha Campbell fan, also went to the same high school. Nice. And she used to visit randomly. Um, and just like we would have a, assemblies in the auditorium and things like that. So that was a interesting fun fact. But I was I was heavily into the art field. Um, but when I got into like, I want to say sophomore, junior year in college, I, I wanted to do more than art. And I took an art therapy class, I believe my sophomore year, I'm not entirely sure. And um, I found it really interesting and I wanted to do more with it, but it didn't like click until maybe junior year when I decided, okay, what do I need to do to pursue this as a master's? Because I wanted to continue with school like immediately and I found out what I needed to do. I took a, um, the psych classes needed to, you know, get into the master's part of things. And then um, I ended up pursuing that as a master's program. And I got in and got through it. And and here I was being a therapist and working with art. Plus, a lot of people had the habit of coming to me when they were stressed out or they needed someone to talk to. And I was the type of person that, like, I guess I wasn't as judgmental as other people around them. So I would sit and listen and offer feedback and support that a lot of people just didn't get from talking to other people. And I was like, well, I guess that sounds like therapist. I should probably push that a little further. And, and I just ended up combining the two things and it's just happened to work out for me uh, since then. People, even today, like people still try to get that free therapy session from me every now and then. <laughs> that lasts at least an hour and I'm like well thanks uh, you know I'll be billing you later <laughs> that, that's so cool and it, it's a reminder that creative art therapists have you know two paths of a calling you know we want to we want to hone our craft and use it for good but we also want to offer good in the talk therapy sense too it's I never really thought about it that way that we have two parallel callings that's pretty cool yeah what are most people's reactions when you tell them what you do for a living and what would you like them to be? <laughs> I think most people get really excited or curious when I go, yeah, I'm an art therapist. Because I think a few people or a lot of people don't really know what that is or they never heard of it. If they have heard of it, it's, it's generally what they see in TV. Like I've had a few people so, oh, like Law and Order SVU. I saw this episode when <laughs> when, <laughs> when they were giving this kid a drawing and, and they, they noticed something in the drawing and that's how they caught the perp. That's usually what I get if someone does realize what art therapy is. I'm not going to say that's a bad example because I feel like that's an interesting example. 
of art therapy. And in a lot of cases, they do use that to find more information, but that's not generally what just art therapy is. It's not draw this picture so we can figure out who's been bothering you. Um, I think people use art therapy a lot of time once they realize what I do, they want to to get their kid in front of me and go, okay, figure out what's wrong with my kid. And it's like, no, like this uh, <laughs> rule number one, no, just no. It's not what you use it for. Sometimes we don't try to use the art for interpretation purposes. It, it can just be something therapeutic to calm someone down, make someone feel better. They're not good at talking, you know, but they're good at art. And then that's a leeway into discussion. But I, I just tell people that it's not don't don't try to get me to interpret anything because there's more to it than that. And all you're going to do is agitate me and the kids. So, <laughs> so try not to do that. Never, never ask the art therapist. Can you can figure out what's wrong if I put my kid in front of you? Don't definitely don't do that. Don't let TV <laughs> dictate <laughs> what you know about art therapy. So I think that's the usual response. I guess a lot of people are just like, oh, that's cool. And they're really excited. And, and I like that reaction because sometimes they'll ask more questions rather then assume what it is so I get to explain in a summary you know before I head on about my merry way so I appreciate those reactions more like oh what is that oh that's pretty cool or oh I've heard of it um or my kid went to art therapist or you know my mom went to an art therapist like I like to hear stories like that versus oh what does this mean like is I feel like it's patronizing when you do it that way absolutely how has your identity, either racial, ethnic, sexuality, gender, et cetera, helped or hindered your practice? Um, I don't know too much about hindering as far as those categories. I do notice that I don't see as many um, Black art therapists in the field. Even when I was in you know, my program, I was like the only Black person in my whole like program itself. Um, there was like um, very limited diversity, uh, which always played an interesting role in certain classes um, that we had to take that address that thing in particular. But um, I don't think it's hindered me per se. I just feel like a lot of people, depending on the state, aren't as aware of art therapy. And if they are, the, the jobs themselves are more like part-time or per diem. Mm-hmm. Um, I give credit to like states like New York who have an actual license. So they, um, they, I feel like they take the position more seriously versus certain states like uh, New Jersey, who is working on a license, but certain places will, will request an art therapist for a position. And, and then the requirements aren't related to art therapy, if that makes sense. Like they want an art therapist, but it sounds more like a rec therapist kind of situation. Like they blend those positions together and, and it's, 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 it, it makes me a little uncomfortable sometimes because I'm like, what if I get there and it's like, it's not what they're expecting because they don't really know. So, um, but yeah, I don't think it's, as far as like gender or, or, or anything like that, I don't think it's caused any major hindrance. I just think in general, it's just the lack of awareness of art therapists existing. Um, the same goes for like music and dance therapists. I feel like like the lack of awareness just makes people generalize more. Um, but once you get in front of somebody and explain it and, you know, they get more excited and then there's more opportunity there. Nice. How do you approach self-care? 
Uh, self-care. Um, I try to definitely give myself a lot of self-care time, especially like after and before I have to go into work. I tend to exercise about six times a week, um, sometimes five if I'm feeling extra lazy. Um, but I enjoy exercise. I love music. I, my musical interests vary everywhere. Like they range from rock all the way to R&B. Um, and I ha- usually I have to listen to music when I'm doing things in general, cleaning, uh, walking my dog, more cleaning because of my dog, um, things like that when I'm doing <laughs> when I'm doing work in general, I just I just have to listen to music. I think that's my biggest self-care because depending on mood, music can just really calm you. Um, it can address um, frustrating emotions, happy emotions. There's always a song for some kind of mood. So that's that's generally my idea of self-care. And I also am working on resting more. I'm wearing my sweatshirt that says it's okay to rest because I feel like I need that reminder um, all the time because I'm I'm generally really anxious and I always have to be doing something, cleaning something, fixing something, organizing something, running errands. So just reminding myself, okay, it's your day off. You don't have to do anything. You can take a nap on the couch and not feel like a bum it's okay mm. so um definitely reminding myself in, um in that regards when it comes to self-care that sometimes I just don't have to do anything at all and that's okay and I also remember from my time working in a long-term care facility that I was on my feet all the time I was mm-hmm. walking everywhere unit to unit to unit you know like our facility was a whole block of you know a whole city block so like over here, over there, up and down, you know, carrying stuff, bringing this, helping with this. So it it's also very physically tiring. Yeah, it's definitely uh, physically tiring. I get a lot of comments from specifically residents who are always reminding me that I'm always everywhere. I'm always moving. I'm always running, walking. They're like, when do you ever rest? Do you ever sit down? And I'm like, I do eventually, but um, there is a lot of toll on the feet. I all of or most of my shoes have insoles in them uh, because of that fact. I just, I just need the, the relief. So um, yeah, resting is definitely a good thing to do anytime during the day, taking the time to breathe. I invested in an Apple watch and I'm so glad I did because it it gives me my reminders every once in a while to kind of do a quick, you know, minute meditation where I just sit still and breathe you know, to get myself back in the present. So that's great. Diana, thank you so much for normalizing rest. I think that (laughs) and any group, any, I mean, like, especially women and we are not, we are not encouraged to rest. We are encouraged to be consistently moving and whether it's at work, taking care of things or whether it's coming home to be the caregivers or you know, doing, doing chores or tasks. And it's, it's nice to just hear, not just like using words like lazy, and oh, I want to, you know, I, I had a bad day, just be like, no, it's, I had a good day, I rested. And that's mm-hmm. it, full stop. Yeah, it's, it's nice to hear. Yeah, I love when people ask me, what'd you do on your day off? I'm like, I was a complete couch potato. And I loved off. it. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it. I, I, I glued myself to my couch. And I, took a nap and then I woke up and and I stayed in the couch and I watched whatever it was on Netflix that I needed to catch up on and I didn't do absolutely a gosh darn thing and and I loved every minute of it and 
if I wasn't here, I'd do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I today I turned a Shavasana into a nap, um, which was great. That's a dream. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna <laughs> just turn it into a full you activity. Became a corpse. Yeah, corpse pose. Yes, yeah. love corpse pose. Wait, Diana, I also wanted to bring up, this is like obviously a bit of a downer, but you and I, when you were talking about music, I remembered that you and I were in at work when we found out that the lead singer of Linkin Park had taken his own life and how we oh, were yeah. so like, how they, that band meant so much to us in like middle school. And oh my gosh, yeah. Chester, I don't know, I no. just, I, it like won't, I won't ever forget that, that we were, together when we learned that news and we were both like how do we what do we do with this yeah these feelings there's there's a lot of feeling I still think about that because I I I, since I was in middle school I was playing Linkin Park like especially when I was in a crappy mood I feel like Linkin Park Mm -hmm. was speaking to me um among other music uh music bands and things like that but um, even in high school, like me and my friends, we, we used to call each other the LP gang because we all liked Linkin Park so much. Um, okay. And they it, they just got, <laughs> I know, LP gang, shout out. <laughs> and we, we, we enjoy, um, we just enjoy them so much and, and their transition um, into different styles and things like that. And, and hearing that he ended his life, I, I even went back to listen to a lot of the older songs and I was like I feel like I heard you know the pain in a lot of these songs it wasn't just him writing lyrics you know he was chances are he was he was feeling these feelings and 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 we didn't think too much about it or maybe we did and 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 kind of just let it get past us but I always wonder like you know what was he feeling you know what was going through his mind like you know how, how does his family feel about all this where they're aware of it um you know hopefully no one's blaming themselves because when you're in a situation like that um you you can't really blame yourself um Mm -hmm. there's a lot that goes into someone ending their life and it's not just one situation or one scenario it's just a build-up and a lot of people don't want to burden loved ones with those feelings so they you know they keep it all to themselves and then when they end their lives there's those unanswered questions so um I was just one of those people that just wondered you know what else you know people could have done um you know wishing that you know maybe he could have opened up more and he'd still be here continuing to make awesome music how his bandmates probably feel about the whole situation his wife his children um but I I still miss Chester for sure I I still blast Lincoln Park at least several times a week in my car whether I'm leaving work or going to work 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. I'm still old school Lincoln Park. It kills me when I like mention it to like the younger generation and they're like, who? And I'm like, please get out. (laughs) (laughs) Please get out. No, you got to know Lincoln Park. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's beautifully spoken. And I'm obviously for folks that are listening, for all of those folks that are listening, you know, National Suicide Hotline is available on our resources page too but you're you're right it's the we have so many blanks to fill in after somebody that either we know on a micro or a macro level leaves in that way and it it can like it's kind of like an echo chamber you know you're never going to get an answer so you just theorize Mm -hmm. until you're blue in the face or until you until you're you're feeling settled and that's that's not easy to deal with and it's not an easy decision to decide to you know end that grief or stick with it 
Yeah, and I think it's hard hearing people say, oh, it's a selfish decision. Like, what about, you know, the people that you leave behind? And it's like, I, I don't think it's that selfish. I think sometimes, or most of the time, people do it because they're selfless with it. They don't, they just don't want to burden people with their issues or their sadness or their anger or whatever it is they're feeling. And they think it's a better decision if they weren't around. Mm -hmm. um, and when you when you think about it that way, they're thinking about everyone. And and maybe in the moment, you know, it seems selfish, but you really got to take the time and as and think about, OK, I knew this person or I thought I knew this person. Is this a selfish decision or, you know, did they really feel like this would be a better option? And, and will save everyone else the heartache of being alive. So um, I never think it's a selfish decision. So, yeah. or, it's, or it's that that person is in so much pain, either physical, emotional, mental pain, that in that moment, that is the only option they feel like they have. Yeah, it's, it's just a way to end all that pain and frustration. So no matter how many coping skills they're, they're told or being given, it's just, it's just, not wanting to deal with it anymore so um yeah I and I'm sorry I keep perseverating on this but it's important that we talk about it definitely you know I when you're talking about the you know labeling the person as selfish I, I think that people just have anger and they're so they have so much anger and they just feel like it needs to be placed on someone and that person yeah. You know, took themselves away. So why wouldn't the anger be placed on them? You know, like right, I, right. I can have anger at this. It's hard for people to have anger at a situation and not put it on to somebody, especially if the person isn't there anymore. And it's it's very natural, but it's also it's not not really accurate. Like you said. Right. Oh, yep. Good. But we miss Chester. R.I.P. Yeah. Chester. Lady, you want to say hi? Is this me? I see lady. Hi lady. Yeah, she's she's not appreciating all this attention being taken from her. Great <laughs> great Pyrenees. Lady, you better you better hold on. All right, you better hold on. <laughs> I mean, lady's head is very <laughs> You said she was very big dog, but yeah. No, she's she's a big she's about 116 pounds. Oh so she's baby. and she's pretty tall. I don't know how tall she is, but um let's just say a lot of kids have been knocked down um, <laughs> <laughs> with her trying to offer her love. She's she definitely loves people, she is obsessed with children and other dogs and animals. So she 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 doesn't realize how big she is. She's knocked people over before, um, but she's very lovable. She's also a form of self-care. I've I've taken her all over and people that are having a crappy day will see her and cheer up immediately. And then they'll thank me for, for bringing her. They'll thank me for adopting her from a shelter and giving her a home. And I've had plenty of um, good discussions, many therapy sessions as a result of Lady being around. So kudos to Great Pyrenees. This is it. <laughs> and <laughs> nice. and adopted dogs out there making people feel better. Hell yeah. And I kudos know. to adopted cats too. Don't want to leave them out. I have a cat too. Yeah, don't let, my don't let your right cats now. hear you saying that. I know. Like my, <laughs> my cats are sitting here looking up at me like, hey, 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 I was here first. So mm -hmm. kudos to adopted cats. Yeah. 
Jonah, how much does pumpkin pie weigh? Or is that- she weighs yeah. 50 pounds, maybe <laughs> 55 pounds, and she is a little unit. Uh, <laughs> she's, yeah. Wait, we adopted that, her. What does that mean? What's a little unit? Is she small? She's media. She's, it's hard because she's like in between every size. So, like, I never <laughs> know to buy her for clothes. <laughs> Oh, uh, she fits in the costumes. Her fix. <laughs> um, because I'm like, you know what? I clean up your pee. So, like, <laughs> one day a year, you could wear costumes for me. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and, uh, or, you know, just like for collars, because she's so stocky, but short, but not. Uh, it's often very difficult <laughs> to size things for her. Oh gosh, I wish the lady could wear costumes. I like when <laughs> Halloween came and went, I was trying to find her a cute costume, but she was growing so fast. We got we got her from the shelter. She was about 74, 73 pounds. And um, I was like, I'm gonna get her a cute outfit, but she grew so fast, nothing fit her, even the largest size that any place ever has. Like she it doesn't fit, like her chest is too wide body's too long so I'm like you're just gonna be naked for Halloween how's that (laughs) let's just call that a day we can put bandanas around her neck as long as it's a good size bandana but um yeah I gave up trying to dress her all cute and stuff because just nothing fits her she looks like she hulk just like bursting (laughs) out of anything harnesses yeah nothing nothing fits so if, if anyone knows any places that make large breed dog sweaters and cute things you know I'm I'm open I need to know because the next time Halloween comes around I want to dress her up in something cute she's a lady after all (laughs) um I think we've kind of re re reevaluated our guilty pleasures question to be (laughs) uh or to be like a pleasure that you have that you don't normally tell people about uh do I feel like all my pleasures I tell people about (laughs) like even at work like I've told residents about my interests and stuff and they're like oh okay that's interesting I've showed them my interests and things like that like I just I'm I'm one of those people that like Japanese animation and it used to be really nerdy with, you know, growing up. And now it's this big thing when like Japanese animated movies are in theaters and they're making the big bucks on Netflix. So I, I've always been um, proud about that to some extent. I'm not like a full on otaku, which is like someone who's heavily into Japanese anime and, and cosplay and the whole shebang. Um, I'm too cheap to do cosplay. Um, and I don't have that motivation. Kudos to all the people that cosplay. But I, I respect all of you because these cosplayers are they're in deep. And I wish I had that motivation. Um, but I'm just I'm a basic anime watcher. I have my favorites. I, w- I was one of those people that got really excited when the Sailor Moon um, movie came out on Netflix. I watched part mm-hmm. one and part two was very excited that my comparisons to the 90s uh anime um I was one of the few girls in high school and that watched Dragon Ball Z like I I go way back I go way back with the anime and I'm I'm proud to say I watch it (laughs) so did you see Sailor Moon back in the day like when it was on I don't know oh yeah it was um oh gosh it was uh I know Toonami Oh um, yep. 
aired it with like all the old school Yu Yu Hakusho, Dragon Ball Z. I was into Pokemon, Digimon, all of that um, back in the 90s. I used to rush home to watch Sailor Moon like yeah. that next episode. I just I just didn't care. I, I was I was heavily into Sailor Moon. I had a I think I had a purse or some kind of cross body bag that had the hologram picture on the front. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted the dolls, but like my mom was looking at me cross-eyed, like what? Um, you lucky you got the bag. And um, but like I was just I was just heavily into Sailor Moon. Like that was the, my first intro into Japanese animation. Looking back now, the the dubs are horrible. Um, wait, wait. The, so that was one of my questions was because like there's new dubs that are on Hulu, I think, for, for yeah. Sailor Moon. Do you like those dubs? I hate dubs in general. Okay. Like there <laughs> I I respect the new dubs because they they try to fit into um the the actual Japanese animation, like the actual translation. I, back in the 90s they felt like we just couldn't handle a lot of things um so they changed like Sailor Moon's name from Usagi to Serena they tried to Americanize it a lot um in places they deleted whole episodes and scenes so you really have to like go back and watch it from the beginning and luckily the entire series is uncut on Hulu I believe and yeah, then it's also Hulu. yeah Hulu and I think a YouTube as well so you can go back and watch it. But I think nowadays they're they're embracing the original. So the new dubs are closely related to the Japanese. But I can't get past the voice acting. Like, I miss the old school voice acting. Me neither. Actors. Yes. Uh, it like, kills me. Like, I'm like, like Luna bring the back. cat. I can't, yes. like, not hear Luna without the British. voice. Yeah. <laughs> the British Luna voice that like didn't even match with the Japanese voice, but we didn't care. It was because, so comforting. Yeah, it was comfort. I, I really feel like if they could bring all the original voice actresses um, and actors back from the original and then just have them dub it over correctly, yeah. I would be okay with that. But I can't watch the new dubs. I watch almost every Japanese animation in Japanese with the subtitles, um, with the exception of Dragon Ball Z. I feel like the Japanese version of Dragon Ball Z is uncomfortable um, because you have a lot, a lot of the Japanese voice actors for Dragon Ball Z are female. So you got these really muscular men and then they have the higher pitched voice. And I grew up with the um with the dub of Dragon Ball Z when the voices were a little deeper and they match. So going back and watching it is a little uncomfortable. <laughs> so um I just go, okay, I'm just gonna watch the dub. I think Pokemon also has a good dub. I feel like some of the more basic animes that most people know have good dubs. Um, Inuyasha is another good example of a good dub. Even now, when they rebooted it um, with the new series, I can't remember the name of the new series. I watched the whole thing, but they brought back um, some of the original voice cast. I think one of them died, so they had to replace him. But th that dub is is perfect, and I have no quorums with that. But everything else is like, please just watch it in Japanese. It sounds so much better just in general um but i i love to see um anime making this this big turnaround in in mainstream media i'm like yes we can all be nerds together <laughs> <laughs> who was your favorite sailor scout which one was your favorite 
My favorite's always been like Taylor Jupiter. Yes, uh, right answer. <laughs> Sorry, really. <laughs> I like that she was strong, but she could be feminine at the same mm-hmm. time. Like she was the big tough one that everybody was scared of, but she loved to bake and cook and flowers, and she wanted to, um, you know, get married. And I thought that was really cute. Um, and she had and- lightning. She had lightning as a power. I love that she was a, like the strong one. Like I was just all about her being the strong, tall one. Even though they they've released you know heights for the Sailor Scouts, and she's supposed to be like five six or something. But in Japan, that would be taller because everyone's yeah. short. So I get it. But um, I just love that she's she's the tallest, strong one. I just I just like that um, in general. I know there was like a debate about her and Sailor Uranus. I'm saying Uranus and not Uranus because I feel like Uranus is more accurate. I don't know. I could be wrong. Sue me. But but Sailor Uranus was also tall and strong um, Sailor Scout. And then there was like that big debate. But I think because Jupiter was there first um, and and she's just so sweet at the same time. I I appreciate her a little bit more. Um, And I actually liked um, when Sailor Moon got rebooted in like 2013 or 15. can't remember. It's been so long. Um, They made uh, Sailor Uranus. They they focus more on the Japanese manga. And she is, I can't remember if she's gender fluid or not. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, there there was like an episode where um, Usagi asked her if she was a man or a woman. And um, and she said that, you know, why should that matter? Um, and then I think at one point she said she had both genders or something like that. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. And I appreciated it because um, in the 90s, they thought we were idiots. And there was this whole thing about kissing cousins when Uranus and Neptune were claiming they were cousins in the American version. But you, I knew they were lovers. Like, you yeah, can't edit I that. I never thought that, yeah. Like, you, there's no way you can edit the hand-holding and the intimacy. Like, just let it... Ha- kids aren't dumb. Like, the moral of the story is kids are not dumb. They definitely and seeing together. Two, yeah, seeing two women, like, live together okay. and be intimate is not going to do anything crazy. If anything, it's going to, you know, make people appreciate, you know, representation, or at least, you know, the people who want the representation you know, appreciate it, but I appreciate it. I, I knew something was up, you know, even, you know, in the eighth grade. So I, <laughs> I like, I like to see, I like to see that representation now in the, in the reboots and things like that. And them addressing it. Um, I definitely appreciate it. So that's great. And I'm, I'm sorry to say that uh, Sailor Jupiter was the correct answer. <laughs> I was just very excited. Every, you can like any Sailor Scout, and that's the correct answer. Yes, Jupiter was always my favorite. Sailor Moon, I don't know, like the '90s one made her extra annoying. I appreciated yeah. that she was, um, she, you know, she loved everybody, wanted to save everybody, but a lot of her crying and bad grades and things like that. Um, and fun fact: Sailor Mercury was actually the most popular Sailor Scout in Japan because she was like the ideal type. She was smart. She was sweet, you know, reserved. So she was considered the most popular Sailor Scout for that reason. Um, so, but I'm a Sailor Jupiter fan. Absolutely. 110% of the way. <laughs> Diana, what is your least favorite therapy phrase? My least favorite therapy phrase? Uh, for example, one day at a time or... 
How does that make you feel? Or oh, oh gosh, your therapist, might... you can't ask me that question. I feel like it's how does that make you feel? Because I feel like that's for sure scripted. Um, I feel like you're doing it textbook when you ask someone, how does that make you feel? Sometimes you may have to say it so you're like less judgmental about the situation. Mm-hmm. But I, it just sounds like a, a, a teen drama or something where somebody's in therapy and, um, you know, the old white guy with glasses balding in the middle has his notepad and goes, how does that make you feel? Like, I feel like that that, that is attached to the stigma connected to art, uh, to therapy in general. Um, when you hear something like that, um, that, I don't know. I feel like you're not listening when you ask, how does that make you feel? It's weird. I just, I don't, I don't like that phrase. I probably yeah. have said it at one point or oh, another, yeah, but I don't like, I, I definitely yeah. don't like it like at all. That, that might be a bit, maybe you can do it as well. Like, yeah, <laughs> like you can do it. I don't know. That can come off as cheesy in a sense, like overly positive. Like I'm a real, I, I feel like I'm a realist and, and I say whatever I'm thinking, not to say like in a therapy session, I'm going to tell you if you can't do it or not. But um, I feel like that's a generalized statement. Like some people use it too often. So um, yeah. And it's not really up to the therapist to decide it's up to the client to be like, uh, no, not yet. I can't. Yeah. Like, I can't yeah, sometimes yet. you can't, sometimes it's too much. You know, sometimes you got to tell a person, maybe take it one step at a time. Don't maybe not say you can't do it, but like, you know, maybe not right now. You could do it a little later. You know, maybe we work on this first, but saying you can do it. If someone tells you, I feel like crap, and then you respond with, you can do it or I, or you got this or you'll be okay. That's another one. Yeah. You'll be okay. It's like, no, you won't. Maybe you won't. Joanna and I had a professor at Drexel that told us that how do you, how does that make you feel is actually a very like nosy personal question and it's not really always our business which I I, I partially agree with I but it's it, yeah. it was I always felt it was really interesting that he took that very strong take on it and he was like <laughs> never say this phrase yeah we were it was uh, like never say it yeah. uh, and so I know I, I have saying it. and how does that feel I think I, I usually say, uh, like, where's the emotion coming from right now? Oh, or, so mm-hmm. um, hmm, I wonder what that feels like. Yeah, I mean, it's important. I mean, that's therapy, right? It's important to know what the emotion is rather than, I mean, the context is important, but the what they're going to do next is not as important as how it's affecting yeah. them. But then again, if you give canned answers, you're going to get canned responses. Yeah. Like, how does that make you feel sad? Okay. And that's yeah, it's like, all right, moving on. How many times yeah, like, can you say that? Uh <laughs> Sarah and I were doing some ungame questions on a bonus episode. If you wanna see those. Follow our Patreon. Follow our Patreon. <laughs> um and it was like, how do you feel about this bad thing? Bad. I feel bad about it. Yeah, I feel pretty bad. Actually. Yeah, that's yeah. it. And now I feel worse. This game is not a game. <laughs> yeah. It's the <laughs> ungame. Uh <laughs> Diana, is there any uh, resources that you feel like uh, we should know about or people should know about? Um, the big one for me is uh, selfcaresforeveryone.com, um, which is where I got my sweatshirt that I'm wearing. They have a lot of different quotes and things that they um, from artists that they work with. 
the artist makes the quote or the phrase um, or the artwork and they put them on sweatshirts, t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, and then uh, a percentage goes to the artist when we do purchase the item. And uh, I, they also have an app, which I did do that I downloaded and it has daily resources and uh, journal guides and things like that, meditation guides. Um, so I found the app really useful. Um, and I also am trying very hard not to spend all my money on them uh, because they do have a lot of quotes and phrases that you're like, damn, that's that's me right now. I need this shirt <laughs> so bad. I think I have um, a shirt and like four sweatshirts from them. And I'm like, OK, I need to chill. I need to, you know, give it some time. But there's I, I can tell you right now, there's 20 I can think of that I want right now. And they're always um, collaborating with new artists and different images and then I'll find something else I want to buy but they're they give you a little bit of motivation um and if you need that good reminder it's there I follow them on Instagram as well as Facebook and they're always really trying to motivate people their customer service is really good when I made my first order I ended up with the wrong sweatshirt um that said feelings are dope and as much as I <laughs> as much as I enjoyed the sweatshirt um that wasn't the one I ordered and they sent me the correct one and let me keep you know the other sweatshirt and oh, said nice. hey give, give this away and I just gave it to my boyfriend who wore it very comfortably um because I tend to buy all of my sweatshirts and hoodies in 3x when I don't need <laughs> need them in the 3x but I like cozy if you ever if you ever wore a sweatshirt or a hoodie, you know the larger the better. So, and they, I believe they go up to like 5X or something like that. Like they get have pretty large sizes, which I also appreciate the, you know, inclusiveness uh, there as well. So selfcaresforeveryone.com. Great. Diana, I was laughing earlier because I've definitely been in the room with you before when you've been like, there's out there. Customer service was okay when I had to return this product that I misordered. It's, I've heard this before. Yeah, I definitely, I feel like I'm all about customer service with things. And if someone has great customer service, I will brag about that company to, you know, kingdom come. I'm just like, hey, I, I, I def you definitely need to try these people because guess what? If they jack up your order or they do something, you get free stuff out of it. Just just do it. Trust me. So I, I do have opinions. I give good and bad um, reviews. So feel free to come find me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Diana, I'm asking this one and I know you are going to want to answer it in a very lengthy way. So like you know, do, do what feels best. <laughs> okay. What is your favorite breakfast? Pancakes. I I <laughs> my face, I, I'm legit, Okay, don't like, embarrass <laughs> me like that. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right answer to the question. There's no right answer to that. But so my, there's no right answer favorite, to any question. Right as answer. much as I will shout about the right answer. <laughs> no, I just heard you explain food with much more gusto and you just said uh, pancakes. What kind <laughs> of pancakes? Do you put anything in your pancakes? What do you put on top of them? Um, I don't really do like toppings, but I've had an obsession with pancakes for a long time. And even at my job, I used to, um, they used to have extra pancakes at breakfast for the residents. And I would take them in Ziploc bags and take them home and freeze them and eat them on my like off days and stuff 
and I used to have freezer full of these frozen pancakes because I just love pancakes. And when I started to go back to healthy eating, I started investing in in protein pancakes. The only ones that matter are Kodiak cakes. They sell them everywhere and they make protein pancakes and they don't taste like protein pancakes. They taste like straight goodness in in pancake form. And my favorite is their double chocolate, I think dark chocolate pancakes. It just tastes like a brownie in pancake form. And I usually put Mm -hmm. almond butter um, and Reese's peanut butter chips like yes. in the batter and you just add water and you just have the best breakfast and you don't even realize it's healthy. It just tastes so good. I just love pancakes. Right, even when I like go it. out to Thank eat. You. Yes. Even when I go out to eat, like if we go to a restaurant, <laughs> I've taken residents on outings to places. And if they have a breakfast menu, I go straight for the pancakes. Like just that's Beautiful. it. Waffles are my second favorite if they don't have pancakes i'll go for the waffles <laughs> so um but i'm obsessed with i'm really a, i have an obsession next to cookies i have an obsession with with breakfast food um i keep breakfast for breakfast lunch or dinner um people have judged me and i told them to go to hell because i'm still eating my pancakes yeah, people are not on this interview so you're good that's, that's why we ask it because breakfast is the best right breakfast is the best so next to my cookies <laughs> all right here's our final question it's a it's a would you rather question oh you, joy yeah this one may be a thinker it's a thinker for me i don't know if that means it's a thinker okay let's no. see if i need to think this through all right so would you rather receive text messages but not you can't send them or we would you rather be able to send messages text messages but not receive them i i feel like i'd rather receive text messages because a lot of times i'll receive text messages and sometimes i won't respond anyway but um but people know i got them so i feel like if i ended up receiving text messages and not sending them i could just call people so yeah. I rather I just rather receive them. Hmm. Yeah, that that like one. what a beeper is, right? Yeah, you, you get you get the message and then you have to call somebody, you know, to let them know, like, hey, I got it. Or you just see them next day, like, I got your text message, um, and here's my response. I just feel mm-hmm. like that's easier, more efficient. Because if I send you a text message and I can't receive it, I don't know that you got it. What if you're ignoring me? I don't know, but usually you know if you send me a text message, I for sure got it. And just for whatever reason, I didn't respond, but I'll let you know when I see you or I'll give you a call. So you can trust that I got it, but I feel like some people <laughs> will get text messages and be like, oh, I forgot to check or I, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, you don't care. <laughs> what about you, Sarah? I, mm, I think it's depending on what type of petty I'd rather be you know like do I want to be the one that gets the last word in with the text or do I want to be the one that receives the message and leaves the person on read or I, I like just, that better I could just I don't know it's bringing out a toxic side of me texting sucks I hate texting. <laughs> this question sucks but the power the power is there you get the text messages and you have the power to respond 
I'm I, okay. I'm just take that power back. I do not care. I don't want any of that power. I don't want power. I'm just not going to text at all. I just want to pay my rent. I don't need power. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I would feel really bad not responding to people because I know I get very in my head when people don't respond to me. Uh, so I probably feel bad, but it would probably be better for my anxiety to only receive text messages and to not just like send them out into some sort of void. Uh, yeah it's a very mean question yeah <laughs> do you want to do another one i can do another one yeah <laughs> all right do a nice one for sarah okay <laughs> you are fluent in every language or you have the ability to talk with plants and animals oh i'd rather be fluent in a i'd rather do the language I, as much as I love animals and things and plants and stuff, um, I saw the happening. Um, but <laughs> Clearly the I, trees were trying to say something. The in that trees movie, were so, trying yeah. to say something and it might have saved more lives if we knew what the trees were saying. But I, I've always wished that I knew what's fluent in at least like one or two extra languages. Like I just, I think it's cool, especially like working in a senior living facility, like we we do get residents who speak other languages or from other locations. And so I'm always like, oh, I wish I knew that language. I wish I was fluent in that language. It would just be so cool to just sit here and talk with this resident when no one else can. It should be so entertaining. Um, you just will learn so much. And sometimes residents from other locations or other countries, when they have like dementia alzheimer's they'll um kind of resort back to the language they had mm, you know they grew up yeah. with as a kid so even if they were fluent in english like 20 years ago like all of a sudden all they speak is spanish or korean or italian and it, um i think if i knew those languages without hesitation it would just be easier to communicate with them so they don't feel as isolated or confused yeah. I would yeah, absolutely I, I talk would. to plants and animals. Really? Yeah, I mean, I told my husband recently, I was like, if a genie came in here, I was like, what do you want? I would want to talk to my dog. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just to talk um, to dogs. And, and it's it's maybe a little bit more heartfelt because I my dog has separation anxiety and I just want to like be able to tell her it's okay and <laughs> her to understand what I'm saying. Like I'm going to come back home or like it's you know it's oh. chill or like get her very we're going on this big trip like I want her to know how excited she should be because she's gonna be super excited <laughs> um, so that's why just to like figure out what's going on in her little head oh yours is so sweet <laughs> mine I'm like all logical like no I want all the all the languages no Wait, more so I, I also want all the languages <laughs> for for similar reasons but also I just want to travel uninhibited and uh, two reasons for the plants and animals thing. One, I my my animals already have specific accents, and they <laughs> if it deviates from that, I will lose my mind. You know, we have <laughs> we have a Siberian forest husky who all obviously has a Russian accent, and my older <laughs> my older short hair domestic short hair he has a Cockney accent, and if I speak to them and they sound differently, I, I won't be able to have them in our home anymore. <laughs> And also I feel like plants have evolved differently than humans. And I think that they would come off as like very unempathetic and upsetting and like almost like psychopathic to us. 
Yeah. I, 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 that would make me uncomfortable. Yeah. I, and, oh, my, and my pets and, we have pets at work and they're all really vocal. I would just wouldn't get any peace. <laughs> uh, my cat would just be saying everything on his mind. Lady would just be sitting there repeating things. I could tell just repeating things over and over again. My cat at work <laughs> would just be being a pretentious little thing who, who wants what he wants. And if you don't give it to him, he's going to meow and talk your ear off. I can't imagine listening to that all the time just I can't do it it. I can't all right Diana thank you so much for your time (laughs) thanks for having me have a good one thank you bye feel free to invite me again absolutely (laughs) we'll be right back after the break Thank you for listening to the show. Be sure to rate and review us on Stitcher and Spotify. You can check us out on Instagram at Therapist Next Door or on Twitter, Therapist ND Pod, all one word, or visit our website at tndpodcast.com. If you would like the ability to vote on the questions we ask our guests and so much more, head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash tndpodcast. By the time this podcast is up, our Patreon will be up. And I'm very excited about all the different things that we are going to offer. Uh, If you want to submit your Thera story, there is no Thera story this week because we have run out of their stories uh so we would appreciate you sending us your their story which is a funny or ridiculous story that you had as a client in therapy or like a therapy adjacent story and if you would like us to read that story on the show email us at therapistnextdoor at gmail.com that's therapists plural nextdoor at gmail.com with their story in the title until next time we are your, are your therapists, therapists next, next door. What was that? <laughs> I you we did it. It wasn't me. Both, no, I know. We both had a diphthong. Oh, <laughs> that was great. All right. Nice job. <laughs>